Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church. I'm Jim. I'm your pastor. It's good to be with you today as we worship wherever we are. Uh, it is great that even when the world feels like it is locked down, God's Spirit is still on the loose. And this week, I have seen God's Spirit on the loose in so many different ways. Saturday, we had four baptisms down at the beach, which is a great thing that we celebrate, and there are more coming up. So if you are waiting to be baptized and you want to be baptized at the beach or in a pool, uh, let us know at info at reallife.la. We love celebrating baptisms. Uh, even as, as the world feels uh, sequestered, God's Spirit is still moving and calling hearts to Himself, and we celebrate that through baptism. Also, this week is our vacation Bible school here at the church. Uh, we have an in-person vacation Bible school. We're following all the regulations of L.A. County and the CDC, all the health uh, codes to protect our kids and keep everybody safe. But we're uh, also giving kids the chance just to, just to be kids again in this season where there's so much going on that's scary for them. And we wanted some good, healthy interactions in a safe way. And so uh, we're, we're thankful for that and celebrate that. Uh, and, uh, and also, uh, one thing I want to invite you to, uh, some of you have already done this, some of you haven't. Uh, every week I've been going down to a couple of different pantries to help give out groceries to people who are in need. That is still essential. And if you'd like to join me in that, it's a, it's a powerful way to see God at work and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in providing food for people who are in need. Uh, every week we give out groceries, we pray for them, uh, we love them, we just... Uh, carry out the gospel in the way we live. And so if you've never done that before and you want to go do that with me, I do that every week now. And uh, it's, it's a really thoughtful, meaningful activity. And it's, it's good for my heart because it reminds me, no matter what else gets shut down in this world, the love of Jesus will not be shut down. And so if you want to come celebrate that with me, uh, I do that every week and I'd love to have you come along. Uh, we are uh, going to spend some time praying today. Uh, and as we pray, remember when it feels like the world is out of control, when it feels like we're at the end of the world, the world is still God's. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that when everything is out of our hands, it's still in your hands. I thank you when it feels like there is so much animosity and anger, when there's so much hurt and brokenness. You're the God of redemption. You're the God of healing. You're the God of forgiveness. And you're the God of love. Bring all those about in our hearts. May we love the way you love. May we be graceful the way you're graceful. And may we see your kingdom come. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Let me tell you about a time when the world was coming to an end. It was at the end of the first century in a city called Ephesus. Uh, it was a season in which uh, the... Uh, the world had not, it was not the way it had been for many people. Ephesus was the, the San Francisco of the first century world. It was a big port town. All the ships pulled into the bay and all the ideas crawled off the ships. Consequently, it was a diverse city. 
There were Greeks and Romans and Hebrews and Africans and people from further away than that. It was a religiously diverse city. There was a, a huge temple to the goddess Artemis up on the hill, the Greek goddess of the hunt. Uh, it, had, it became known later as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world with 127 marble columns, 24 tons apiece. There was a, a statue of Artemis in the temple that the locals said had fallen out of the sky. And they placed it in the temple. And they brought offerings to it. And they worshipped the idol. Every spring there was a big festival held to Artemis and all of Ephesus. And tourists would come pouring into the city bringing their money. It was a popular time in which to get engaged there in Ephesus. There was another temple in town dedicated to the living emperor in Rome, Caesar. Domitian, who was the 12th of the Caesars. Caesar is just another word for king, and there was a string of them through the first uh, century. Uh, Domitian was the, the 12th Caesar. And there was a, a temple in Ephesus dedicated to worship of the emperor. So Ephesus enjoyed a special favor of the king because of that, as you could imagine. It was an overpriced uh, architectural way of kissing up. It was teacher's pet architecture. Some architect got a cushy government job after that. There was a, a brothel in Ephesus. We found a, a stone on the ground that had a, a picture of a woman's face and a, a footprint pointing the way to go for men who had no direction. Imagine being a conservative religious person in first century San Francisco, like a, a Jewish person trying to live your life in that context. The tides had already turned against conservative religious people. Emperor Nero, back in 65 AD, I think he was the sixth of the Caesars, Nero had begun persecuting Christians, burning them at the stake at night to light his gardens, blaming them for whatever he wanted to. Uh, imagine living in that, that atmosphere and just trying to, to go about your business and practice your religion. There was a big marketplace in Ephesus called the Agora, where everybody traded everything. It was all the grocery stores, all the home goods, everything you needed was in the Agora. People uh, would go and buy their daily food, the things that they would live on in the Agora. And Emperor Domitian, at the end of the first century, instituted a practice that in order to trade in the Agora, you had to first acknowledge that Domitian was God. And you would receive on your body a mark signifying that you had first worshipped the emperor. And so now you could go and buy your day's groceries. They would receive a mark on their body. I suspect it was like what you see in the modern rural elections in the Middle East when they, they have an election and in order to, to signify that someone's voted, they, they dip their finger in a jar of permanent ink so for the day their finger is stained showing that they've already voted. In the first century world, they would go and worship Domitian in order to signify that they had acknowledged him as God. And then they would receive a mark on their body in order to buy the daily groceries. The first century Christians would call it the mark of the beast. Imagine living in that world and some days having to decide between believing and eating. If one was a Christian in first century Ephesus, one was often quiet about it. Now imagine a pastor having the audacity to go and start a church in a time like that, in a place like that. Imagine having the audacity to say, well, the kingdom hates us. The religions of this town despise us. Let's start a church. 
But a, a young pastor went and did that. His name was John. And John was one of Jesus' original disciples. He was not just one of the thousands of gawkers who went and heard Jesus. He was not just one of the 70 whom Jesus commissioned and sent out on mission. He was not even just one of the, the 12 inner circle of disciples. He was not even one of the, the precious three who were closest to Jesus. John was the beloved disciple. The disciple whom Jesus loved, he said. John was the one who, when Jesus was on the cross, said, John, take care of my mom. Mom, this is your new son. That's who John was. John had been closer to God incarnate than most likely any other human being. So I suspect in a town like that, John was not afraid. In the first century world, it felt like the end of the world. And I suspect John was not afraid. After Jesus ascended into heaven, John and the other disciples went around working miracles. They prayed for people and the sick got better and the paralyzed stood up and walked away. John, John knew that God was real. I suspect he was, was not afraid there in first century Ephesus. Plus he had great stories of things that had already happened in Ephesus. Uh, like when the apostle Paul had come to town a season ago. And, and when Paul came and started preaching Jesus, it just really tore the city up because a lot of the city's economy was built on the worship of Artemis up on the hill. And when everybody started believing in Jesus, it wrecked all the, the tourist dollars that they got from people coming to worship Artemis. You know, all the, all the, the trade, the, the traders, the, the market people, the people trading in the marketplace down in the Agora are selling the little, you know, little snow globes to, to Artemis, you know, where you shake it and it's snowing on the temple there. Well, nobody's buying that stuff when everybody's Jesus this and Jesus that. And so they got so mad at Paul for messing up their business that they dragged him into the local amphitheater, which is still there today. Dragged him into the local amphitheater. Everybody gathered, thousands of people. And for hours they shouted, Megas, Artemis, Ephesus. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Paul almost died that day. I suspect by the end of the first century world, the Christians enjoyed telling that story. <laughs> you remember the time... Paul came to town and almost burned the place down. Those were good days. Uh, I have a friend who went to modern-day Ephesus over in, in Turkey because many of the, the remnants of the first century world are still there. You can go see them today. And he stood in that very amphitheater where Paul almost died, a theater that sits, seats probably 5,000 people. And, and staring up at the empty bleachers, he yelled out at the top of his lungs, Megas, Artemis, Ephesus! And his teenage son said, Dad, you know how I know you're a nerd? And he said, Son, I yelled it to hear that there was no one left to yell it back. And I suspect that was the spirit of the first century Christians in Ephesus, there under the rulership of Domitian. The kingdom hates us. The other religions despise us. But their gods are nothing. And when the world does end, Jesus wins, so bring it. Remember, when it feels like the world is coming to an end, the world is still God's. I imagine Roman soldiers came to John's house in the middle of the night, bashed down the door, grabbed him in his bed where he slept, and dragged him out into the streets where Christians had been killed. They dragged him down to the ships and threw him on a boat that went and dropped him off on the island of Patmos, just a little ways away. 
They were trying, trying to weaken the church by removing the church's leaders. And so I, I imagine John, an older man now, standing on the shores of that island, looking off into the distance where his church would have been, and calling out to God because he cared about that congregation that was now so far away. And God answered him in a vision. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now down at verse 6. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now in chapter 5, verse 6, I saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain, standing in the middle of the throne. We're entering a new series, a series of studies on the book of Revelation, the book about the end of the world, an appropriate book for the year 2020. It's a book that's filled with symbols and imagery. John would have sent this this letter back to his congregation in Ephesus, perhaps passed it off to one of the passing ships and said, go give it to him, give it to them. And, and it's, it's filled with symbols and imagery that, that praise Jesus and make a mockery out of Caesar. This kind of conspiratorial anti-establishment literature would have gotten any peasant killed in Ephesus. And so God saw fit to fill the letter with images that first century Christians would have understood. Images that you and I are going to unpack in the weeks to come but images that would have baffled a first century Roman uh, centurion. A Roman centurion reading this letter, and you'll see a letter filled with stories about dragons and the moon turning to blood and scorpions attacking people, would have probably given it back to a peasant and said, they're there, let's have a little coffee and stay out of the sunlight today and don't you go making any Kool-Aid. But the Christians of the first century world read this letter and laughed at the mockery of the forces that would destroy the church. You will read this letter and laugh at the mockery of the forces that would destroy the church. John says, I looked up into heavens. I looked through a doorway into the heavens. I looked into the universe the way it really is. I looked and I saw the true lay of the land of the universe. And at the, the four corners of the universe, I saw the constellations of the ancient Greek sky. I saw Leo, the lion and Taurus, the ox, the bull, and Aquarius, the man, and the one over here in this corner, which today we call Scorpio, but in the ancient world, they called that shape an eagle named Aquila. I, I looked into the, the night sky over the island of Patmos, and I saw the constellations that would have been in the four corners of the sky at that time, and they had eyes all over them, front and back, 
which sounds a lot like twinkling stars in the sky. And I realized that all of creation realizes who sits on the throne in the middle of it. Nature itself knows its creator. And when one sits in Rome and claims to be God, I looked into heavens to see how things really are. There is a throne in the center of the universe, and Caesar is not on it. There was one sitting on the throne who looked like a lamb who had been slain. And that was common vocabulary for first century Christians. They knew that for millennia, Jewish people, when they sinned, would take their lamb to the temple to offer it as a sacrifice to pay an atonement for their sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, he became a, a permanent atonement for all who would believe in him. So that no matter what we've done wrong, no matter what kind of brokenness we've caused, when we believe in Jesus, all of our sins are taken off of us and placed onto the cross. When you believe in Jesus, you don't have to carry guilt around with you anymore. The world is broken enough. Be set free by the one who sits on the throne in the center of the universe. One who looks like a lamb who has been slain. John says, all of nature knows who is in charge. And so do I. I've met him. Now listen to me. When it feels like the world is coming to an end, remember that the world is still God's. There is one sitting on the throne at the center of the universe that you and I are now in right here today. There is one sitting on the throne ruling over the universe in our world today. And your employer and your job and your bank account are not on that throne. Your well-being does not rest in the hands of secular powers. Your well-being rests in the hands of the one who truly sits on the throne at the center of the universe. You are a child of God, and God provides. There is one sitting on the throne at the center of the universe that you and I now live in today. And sickness and disease are not it. All the days of our lives are in the hand of God, who by worrying can add a single day to their lives. And the value of our lives is not measured in its longevity, it's measured in its depth. So when it feels like science and medicine are not quick to remedy the problems of this world, don't forget who actually sits on the throne at the center of the universe. You are a child of God, and God heals. There's one who sits on the throne at the center of the universe in which you and I now live, and the secular powers that be are not it. You do not gain your safety or your purpose by winning elections or by taking power away from other people. You gain purpose in this world from humbly submitting yourself to the king of the universe, from handing all your life over to him and say, do with my life what you will. When you are afraid that you will be disempowered in this world, remember that you are a friend of Jesus and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. There's one who sits on the throne at the center of the universe in which you and I now stand today. And the stars know who it is. John said, the day will come when Rome falls. The day will come when the powers that would crush the church are left as nothing but sand in the desert.
You and I live in a universe in which Jesus Christ sits on the throne forever. The one around whom we gather and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Amen. Now, if you've never lived into the peace that is rightfully yours in Jesus. Take a minute now and invite Jesus into your life. Give your life to him. Take his spirit into you and live in the peace that is rightfully yours. When it feels like the world is coming to an end, the world is still God's. Let's pray. Jesus, now is the time. Come into our hearts, come into our lives. Heal our sickness and heal our brokenness. We repent of having turned from you and trusted in anything else. Jesus, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Remind us of your teachings. Call us close to you. May we never trust in any other power. Jesus, give us a vision of you seated on the throne in the center of our lives. And by that foundation, Give us hope that will be an anchor for our souls. If anybody's never prayed it before, we pray it now for the first time. Jesus, come into our lives and forgive our sins by, the death, by your death on the cross. Set us free to new life. Amen. And if today is the first day you've made that decision, today is the day you become a follower of Jesus. If you're ready, call the church. Let us know. Let's celebrate baptism because what we find in Jesus is new life for all of us. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.